0: So you said something interesting recently. You you were saying like uh in in, in your, your very Matt kind of way, you were like microservices is interesting because most enterprises aren't doing it. <laughs> so so let's just open with that. Like what 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 did, what did you what did you mean by that?
1: Yeah, uh so what I meant was really that a lot of enterprises are trying to figure out how to do microservices but what they're actually trying to figure out how to do is small uh, empowered teams that can independently release, which I guess is microservices in a sense, but um, there's a lot of folks running around and trying to figure out how do I deal with things like, um, service discovery is the, the latest greatest one I'll pick on. How do I deal with like service discovery or distributed tracing? And uh, they're, I think they're running into two big challenges. One is that the tools that we have now for service, things like service discovery, aren't particularly suited for um, my mainframe that everybody talks to. And so in many cases, what happens is you only have like one or two layers. So you maybe have like a front end and then a middle tier processing piece, and then it talks to the mainframe. This is like every... Pattern across an enterprise maybe looks like this. Um, Or, you know, substitute mainframe for your favorite shared service of the week, like some master uh, Oracle thing. I'm sure that's like everywhere. Some master Oracle thing, some giant, you know, data warehouse, um, an enormous message queue that's all shared across all these services. And so I think what happens is. Uh, a lot of the the coordination and the automation around coordination for microservices isn't strongly adopted because the enterprises aren't actually feeling the pain of doing microservices in the sense of when a customer hits my front page, uh, that subsequently triggers 10 plus service calls to different services throughout the stack. Um And so, when we talk about a lot of the heavy lifting that's associated with doing microservices, things that need to be in the platform like uh, centralized logging, distributed tracing, um, some sensible standardization as to how to do like data storage and data replication and caching, a lot of enterprises who are starting to make this journey like aren't they're just not there yet. I guess it was kind of my point. And and you know, like a. And and is this because like you're saying there's so many
0: non-microservices that they have to contend with that you sort of get overwhelmed with the uh your what what did you call it your your favorite oracle something
1: around? Yeah, so I think it's partially that and I think it's partially that a lot of uh businesses that are traditionally offline they're their technology product offerings just aren't complex enough to necessitate mm. like 30 service calls. Um, and I'm sure there are some that are, but I would say like for the most part, um, we don't see a lot of microservices. What we tend to see is you have a front end and a middle tier and then like some data storage thing. And I think we used to call that a three-tiered application architecture, which now we split into multiple services, but I don't think that necessarily makes it microservices as we see people still doing like coupled releases, uh, which introduces a lot of challenge. Um, the whole idea of microservices is to make the delivery teams more efficient by alleviating them from a lot of the coordination that goes along with, uh, releases. Yeah.
0: Yeah. This is like, this is like a, uh, classic if not foundational what would you call it agile quagmire <laughs> which is which is and i've never heard a very satisfying answer to it and I'm, i'll try to i'll try to say it but like for as long as i can remember the number one objection to agile was yes but if we don't release everything at once the product is not useful <laughs> right which which right. is which is to say like um i don't know i mean what do you think a good application would be to to
1: to discuss this around. Oh. Let's talk about like a customer service, customer service app, like right, call right. center. Like you you call the call center, call center pulls up the customer, right? Right. And so, they see all your stuff.
0: Right. That so that, so that that would be a, a an e- example is like how how can you how would you incrementally stage out the functionality? in a In a customer service app, such that it was meaningful and 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 the reason this I think connects back to what you're saying is um, the motivation for doing a microservices thing is that all these different people can work on different capabilities uh, at their own rate and kind of have add it to the application and the customer the end user, which I guess is a call center person can benefit from it so you could say. At a minimum, when someone calls into a call center, it would be good to know who they are and verify they're a customer, (laughs) right? Like you want to make sure it's not just a random bozo. So you need some way of looking them up and verifying who they are. So there's that. And then also, it's probably good to know what they're paying you for, like what things have they ordered, what services do they have, like what's – and then in addition to that – What's the current status? I mean, you know, you're you're in the insurance business. What's the current status of any claims they have or any applications for insurance or what's their what's their status with our organization? And then um I don't know. On and on and on. You could also do things like like so if the marketing department wanted us to kind of hustle new products to them, what are some products I could hustle to them that would make sense? Like do we know that they own a boat? <laughs> Right? Like maybe they'd like some boat insurance. I don't know. I mean, so you kind of have all of those different things. And I mean, I started getting into things that, I mean, you, you tell me, but that like you could incrementally add on. But it seems like the first three kind of, if you don't have those first three, validating they're a customer, knowing what products, so to speak, they have, and then knowing the status of any ongoing. Thing they have with you like if you don't have that your customer service line is n- going to be less than ideal
1: i don't know yeah i mean you kind of have <clears throat> and those things have traditionally been built in big monolithic chunks so you know tomorrow turning that to microservices is no trivial task um and we're you know i think a lot of uh Companies who are starting to do this whole microservices thing are mostly attacking uh, Greenfield stuff. And so where you have those big monoliths, I think you just have kind of like this giant sun with small planets orbiting it. Like there's not very many layers, so to speak. Um, Everything just talks to the giant thing that has everything in it. Right? Right. Yeah. Um well, well th-
0: this raises up another question is, I mean, maybe maybe these are sort of like the uh the taboos of microservices priesthood. Like uh could 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 it be the case that the monolith moves fast enough?
1: Maybe. It depends <laughs> on it so it I think it depends on if you have some moral imperative for change or that you if you have a burning platform in a sense. So if there's some some impetus or some like pending disruption that you feel that you need to do faster to respond uh, more quickly to the business environment, then then yes, but perhaps the business environment is such that you don't. I can't imagine one. I, as we talk about software eating the world, software is the business. Software and technology are changing everything. Um, it seems like, like no industry at this point is untouched. Um, but, uh, I don't know, maybe. And, and so, so like,
0: like architecting thing in a microservices way, do you think that's like the only way to, to speed things up? I mean, you could take our customer service example, right? Like, let's say, um, so I think,
1: yeah, so I think the importance of the microservices thing is that it's always good to go back and do the history lesson of like how it came to be. Mm. And so when you think about microservices, most of the technology, most of the dot coms are doing them in some form or another, and they've been doing them for well over a decade. And, but the, the business environment under which that evolved to be, was incredibly high growth, right? So these companies were growing at, you know, double or triple digits in some cases annually. And they were trying to staff up their teams to deliver feature and functionality as fast as they possibly could. And so those two things are kind of what drove out, um, okay, we need to make sure we have all these small teams that they can build stuff uh, and not worry about what everybody else is doing, um, but know that they can bring it back and integrate it into the larger whole when it's time for them to ship. And hopefully that amount of time is a very short amount of time because we want to be just iteratively, constantly shipping and evaluating. Um, and by the way, we need to like scale uh, very quickly. Um, and it's very hard for us to like predict our scale because we're growing at these very rapid, unpredictable rates, either because we don't have very many customers, so growing a lot is easy, um, or because we're trying all kinds of new stuff. And right now the marketplace is in kind of this unstable state where huge amounts of growth can just kind of come out of nowhere. And the current enterprise uh, generally is not growth and it's generally not focused on we need to ship as much technology as quickly as possible and so I think there's this view of like we're looking back at the dot-coms trying to adopt some of those uh, techniques and some of the ways to organize teams and those are all good but I think that it's important to understand the history is to which those things evolved, because um, at the original companies who kind of brought microservices to bear felt the pain of like not having service discovery, so they created it. Versus, I think the enterprise in many cases is trying to figure out how to get service discovery to work across their technology stack, is struggling to some degree for adoption. Um, A because Maybe they don't have the ruthless standardization that the dot coms were forced to create in order to allow their teams to scale. uh, And B, because that pain isn't so present. The pain of scale is not as present and in their face as it is for the dot coms. At at least this is kind of my view a view in the kind of the things I think about. But
0: yeah, yeah. No, no. And and, I mean, it draws out an interesting like uh, dual distinction, which is um, let's see. So with with the historic thing you're saying, so microservices come about in, to allow the business to rapidly innovate. And the reasoning behind that is that if, uh, if you have five different, like you use our customer service thing, you've got five different things, areas of capability you want it to do. And if you had to release the functionality of each of them all at once, you would, just because of the way a Gantt chart works, so to speak, you would have to wait eight months to release it to production, right? So, so if the marketing people are like, "Hey, we should try to sell boat insurance to customers at at you know, unicorninsurance.io, right. <laughs> or, or or whatever," uh, we should totally register that. <laughs> that's right. <laughs> um, like you're like, that sounds great. Uh, here's the monolith train. We'll have that out in eight months. Right. Because whenever right. we add something to that one iframe um, in, in the UI or that one portal, when we add that to our customer service portal, you just have to wait eight months because we, we release every eight months. And, and then the marketing people are like, oh, well, this means that like rainbowunicorninsurance.io is going to trample us. Right. Like, anyways. So instead, you're like, all right, well, what if, what if in the portal, uh, whatever shows up there is completely done independently, and it's not dependent on any of the, the other four functions in your customer service thing. And they can release whenever they want. And then there you have kind of like a business view of what microservices does, which emphasizes getting capability uh, released as quickly as possible regardless of what all the other the rest of your organization is doing. I don't know. Do you think that's a fair representation maybe?
1: Yeah, I mean, you're reducing the write locks, right? Like, yeah. it's a, there you have these organizational write locks that are orchestrated around areas where you just need coordination for one reason or another. And this is a thing in most enterprises, which is we have a quarterly release or we have a quarterly infrastructure release. Even if they're releasing incrementally for some stuff, there's generally like a big bang release cycle where everyone has to jump on the call bridge. We're all going to like put our new version out there and we're going to pray to the computer gods that it works because this is like the first time maybe that all of that stuff's been integrated together. Um, Or like another one is infrastructure maintenance. Uh, A lot of architectures from the infrastructure perspective that we have today are not really intended to facilitate like zero downtime releases. Mm. They're intended to facilitate like the existence of maintenance windows. Um, and so I think you just end up in this place where you're like, uh, I have a lot of wait time. Like I just think about it as wait time. You know, you always have like, I always bring it back to computers, but it's like thread, thread sleep, thread weight you know, thread really busy or whatever. And, and it's, uh, yeah, it's terrible. Like you have this thing and you're like, I think this is done. I'm ready to put it in front of the customer and get value from it. But I can't, it's like having an inventory sitting on your shelf that you like can't ship. And you're just like, have to wait for somebody else to like get a package. That's just the right size so that the truck is like perfectly full before it leaves the warehouse. So and it's so, just like that package is just sitting there waiting, right?
0: Yeah. So so then so then I mean we're kind of going to the uh the uh a a delightful rephrasing of the standard definition of microservices and what it attacks which which is good, right? So so then to to some of what you're saying there's uh the problem you have with the monolithic approach is there are too many let's call them technical dependencies, right? Like right. between the you know like you just You can't compile this code. I mean, literally or metaphorically, you can't compile the code until the the boat insurance people have compiled their code, right? Because you're kind of like, you have hard dependencies between this stuff. Now, they might be like less technical dependencies and they might be, I don't know, you could think of it as like scheduling shared resources. Like, well, we only have one QA team and they're busy at the moment. (laughs) So you need to wait Wait. for them to finish their QAing and the next month they can get to you. Or- We only have one team that can plan out your infrastructure. And so you got to wait for them to like plan out the infrastructure that you need. And then your technical dependencies and your, let's call them soft dependencies, they kind of escalate. And then sooner or later you have ITEL, right? Like it's just like, oh, we got to plan out this whole release and stage things out and have all these different phase gates and like make sure that things are coordinated because as as to use your metaphor, we're going to have this big truck that's going to have everything perfectly packed on it, driving out of the warehouse, right? And so so you've kind of got that going on. So that that's those are the the problems that you can have with a monolithic approach. And hence, you're like, as happens so often in the evolution of how you do software, the great epiphany is like, well, what if we didn't do that?
1: Right. <laughs> right. Yeah, like what if we just questioned everything we did? And yeah, we yeah. Did-
0: and, yeah. and And then, so that gets to like like there's a little bit of a detour I want to get into, but um. but I,
1: I, I don't even know if it's I mean I think there's an epiphany aspect, but I think the thing that I was kind of underscoring with the history, the history tale that I was telling is like at some point somebody was just like, "We just can't, yeah, yeah yeah, like physics of the situation will not allow this way of working to continue, totally totally, and it was like they had no choice. Like, he or she had no choice. That person had to sit back and say, okay, well, I can't do it that way. What other way could I do it? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah.
0: And and then, and then technically speaking, right, and this is where you get into the whole, like, uh, I don't know, it'd be interesting to hear your impression of this having actually worked or tried to work on these things, you know, you get the whole, uh, you must be this high, high to ride the ride microservices tax thing, right? It's sort of mm-hmm. like, this is the way of all technology is like, I have this wonderful solution, but it's going to hurt a lot, right? Like it, which is basically like, so if you want to remove dependencies, sure, we can do that, but th- we don't magically have a solution to all the reasons we made these dependencies in the first place, which is like, um, using our customer service example. So, if we have one scheme of looking up a customer um and the sell them boat insurance scheme doesn't know about how you look up a customer, it's not gonna work right so there are like so therefore that's why we have to depend on it because like we have like the one way of identifying a customer and you have to use that one way of identifying it so you're dependent on us to do it so you instantly you're into uh conflicting versions of how to do stuff right and all all the usual things that come up and Somehow, there's there's some magical microservice way of of if not solving addressing this problem in some way.
1: Um, yeah, I mean, it, to me, it's just hard work, and it's trying to decide on what your organization's opinion is on how to do that. Do you enforce, you know, n minus one and plus one backwards compatibility across all services? Do you do like semantic versioning of your services? I mean that's ultimately a business decision, but I think you're hitting on a critical point, which is that there if you are really serious about independent releases, there's some things that you don't do today that you have to start doing, like versioning your services right. and trying not to make breaking changes. And the challenge I think for the enterprise that is unique from kind of the original uh, platforms where a lot of this stuff evolved from is the, it feels to me like for the dot coms, it was always like everybody needs to release all the time and like, we just need to go fast and like everybody's under that situation. Even all of the services I depend on are under that situation. So I can count on the services I depend on to have things like, uh, versioning or to have things like uh, back support for backwards compatibility in a lot of the way that the enterprise has been working for the last several decades, like that is not at all how we operate these big services that are now like shared dependencies of everything. Mm, yeah, Like we expect to be able to take them down for like eight hours on a weekend to do a release But then you have all these microservices where that's not at all the expectation. We do blue-green, we do versioning. It's like, well, what do we do? Do they just break? Or do we actually create some layer of indirection and caching so that maybe we offer a degraded experience, but then nobody wants to go solve that problem because it's not really sexy to figure out, like, how do I make the this legacy, I'll just call it legacy thing that everybody hates that doesn't belong to anybody anymore. Like, because all the people who built it have left the company, like how do I make that suck less? Nobody wants to go solve that problem. It's a very unsexy problem to solve. Um, but it's a business critical problem and it's, I, I think it's an important problem that needs to be solved as a part of kind of this journey into really adopting this, this microservices approach. And then of course, the other side of that is the one that we always talk about to the point that it's almost cliche at this point, which is it's all about people and you actually have to have people bought into releasing faster matters. And like when you're growing at 30 percent or at 100 percent or whatever a year and you're just like constantly trying to like stay out in front of the tsunami, like that moral imperative is very present when you're in an established enterprise stock is at an all-time high growing at a cool 5% 3% a year like that doesn't you don't always get that same level of consensus and the same level of urgency around we really need to do this you know what i mean
0: yeah yeah there's there's no, no i mean if uh, as they used to say if it ain't broke don't fix it <laughs> right? right like like if if, if there's no if there's no pressure on the business side to do things differently, then then um, why would you, right? Like there's no. Uh, in 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 fact, it probably would be a bad idea to change things, <laughs> right? If 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 things are working well, and I mean, three to five percent growth per year would be awesome, right? For for most companies. So uh, yeah, in fact, yeah, it would be extremely risky to change how your core processing worked. Um, so that there is there is you know you need to be motivated to do it. You don't want to just gratuitously be able to improve your software all the time, <laughs> right? Because it may not need to be improved, which I don't know is maybe a bold, uh, a bold tabooish thing to say, but, uh, but then, you know, going back to what you're saying earlier, th- it does seem that most in most industries, they do need to like innovate and do things differently. Right. If only yeah. to hold back uh, interlopers who are trying to come in and snatch their lunch.
1: Yeah. As someone who's used software, I assure you, your software needs to be improved. <laughs> <laughs> that's right. That's right.
0: Yeah. Yeah. It, 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 it can, I get. I guess to rephrase it, software can always be better, but maybe not for the business, <laughs> right? For, for people, yep. software can always be better, but sometimes it's actually fine for, for, for what the business needs to
1: do. I don't know. And that's always the interesting dynamic is between what the customer wants and what the business needs in order to be profitable because those aren't necessarily the same things. Like your customer does not care if you are profitable or not. Uh, but obviously the business does, uh, at the same time, the business can make money and treat the customer like garbage, uh, all day long, which, you know, anybody who's rode an airline, uh, recently probably feels that pain or like pick one of the most hated industries, um, Mm. from consumer confidence perspective. Like there's definitely also this thing of where we have a lot of, uh, businesses or, or health insurance is one that like everybody hates, right? It's like, it is not a customer friendly process. Um, they are maybe making money or maybe not making money, but Regardless, it's not customer friendly. And so you always have these two concerns or multiple concerns to juggle, which is I need a viable business. I need to be profitable. Um, I want to make my business partners happy at the same time, like the customer, whoever my user is, needs to actually use the thing I build. So I have to make them happy also to some degree So or at so, least. Them so, some sensible amount of value. Or, so
0: then, do, do you do you have an example of all of this sort of an action? Like where uh, where someone is determined, uh, we should innovate the business more, and then they were like, "Holy crap, monolith!" And then and then stuff was uh, converted enough over to a microservices approach where it addressed the original goal.
1: I, so what I I found, I mean, we've um, done a number of activities at Allstate, but they're mo- they've mostly been disconnected or like on the fringes of the monolith at this point and so um, you know I haven't seen anybody go go super deep into their core systems I mm-hmm. at PayPal we wrote the rewrote the payments engine um, but when we did it it was to solve like a specific um, concern which was a, a, mostly about availability. Um, as well as modernizing the stack, and so what happened is a lot of services that got rewritten actually this got ported to like a new stack and basically didn't change at all, yeah with the exception of a couple core tenants around availability, um like asynchronous message passing, replacing some synchronous calls, and uh, trying to make it so that Uh, some critical database dependencies like the services could operate if those databases were unreachable. And so that was the only way we were able to get it done um, was to kind of go after it in that way. I don't know of anybody who's, and I'm sure there's use cases out there. You might uh, know some folks, but uh, I don't know anybody who's taken like the strangler pattern to a huge system and really broken it down into microservices. Yeah, yeah.
0: Yeah, well, well, I mean, I mean, this 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 gets to another point I was thinking to is like getting back to the original thing, right? That that it's enterprises who who aren't doing it, right? And because right. you know, I, I mean, I feel like I feel like the as always the canonical example comes from like Amazon, right? Where you're like, you know, when you go buy a book or a product, and there's like there's all the fifty different little portlets on the page that list this, that, and the other, and like those yeah. are. I don't know if this is true, but like those are microservices, right? I mean, I kind of like the weird customer service example we were cooking up is like this too, right? It's like, here's a mashup of all this stuff. And so like that that sort of makes sense. You could, I, I would think of that as microservices as the content you put in an iframe. It's just like, you've got a big UI somewhere and somehow the content gets mashed up into there. And so that that seems like, it fits the mold of I need a microservice I need microservices because it allows me to rapidly try out a bunch of new business stuff and be competitive. Now there's another thing that you were kind at least I was thinking you were alluding to, which is in the enterprise the enterprise would like to move faster, but it also might just like to clean up the mess that is all the different services that it has. Right? Which is like I've got like 500 or a thousand different services and ways of talking to this mainframe here and leftover soap stuff. And then I got this rest stuff over here. And like, it it just is really slow to do anything. And so maybe I should more standardize on the way that all this stuff talks with each other. Right. And, and it kind of gets to the point you're making, I don't know if you're making it, but a little bit of what you're saying is, yeah, we're not really ever going to change that mainframe. (laughs) (laughs) Right. So like we're always going to be bound by if we need the functionality of the mainframe to change, we're going to have to wait. Right. Like if we want to use the mainframe, whatever, we can operate as fast as we want and just make calls to it and stuff like that. But if we want to actually change it, then we need to rewrite it basically or just go into whatever long cycle it takes the mainframe team to, to change something. Yes, but, but and, in the meantime, when we write new but, code, we can do it in a better way,
1: and and that's true. And you can find pockets of like innovation that it can occur. Like a lot of things that need to be done with software, as you are also a user of software, is just like I need a better UI. Well, you don't need to touch the mainframe to put a better UI on your application. Yeah. Um, so there's a lot that can be done around the fringes with microservices but then i guess at that point i start to question whether they're actually microservices or not but um i think with this big thing sitting in the middle i think the challenge is how do you deal with um the release the disparity in the release cycle which is like whoever knew that we would be talking so much about how to release software is a major concern but um, we've kind of gotten to this point with, uh, with Agile and continuous integration, continuous delivery, where actually release management is um, a major contributing concern to, like, architectural decisions. Um, it's like one of the... If we do it frequently enough, it's, like, one of the most important design decisions we make as we think about designing software. Yeah. And so how do I rationalize, like, that they're, how do I rationalize? Uh, I'm trying to think about how to say this. But if you think about 12-factor, right, so one of the things that 12-factor tells us is that all of our dependencies should be treated as third-party integrations. Well, if if my third party gave me the same SLA as my mainframe team, like, I probably wouldn't use them very long. <laughs> and that's kind of the challenge, right, Is is my third-party integrations don't subject me to, you know, multi-hour-long Downtimes, they have some way to hide that maintenance from me. My mainframe team generally doesn't because we haven't thought about things like that in the past that's never been a requirement for them. We've never moved fast enough that that's been um, like this big impending challenge. And so now we're at a point where it is and everybody's kind of standing back and staring at the problem being like, I wonder who's gonna solve that problem. Yeah, I don't know. Yeah, yeah, no, no, exactly. Yeah, yeah. Meanwhile, we'll be doing microservices.
0: Yeah. So, <laughs> so, so it's almost like you can microservice around the edges really easy, right? Like you can always like I, I, I remember. I, I think, I think uh, as always, in addition to booksellers, as it were, the travel industry, the airline industry is always a wealth of good examples because everyone has probably flown at least once, and and so they kind of have an experience of it, and it is airline booking is a very complicated enterprise scale process right that whole system is actually pretty complex uh, mm-hmm. and so uh where was I going with this I mean I mean I'll, I'll tell you I'll tell you one example that like you can kind of reverse engineer what uh, what's frustrating is like you know oftentimes we we use concur backed by amex travel services which is backed by God knows what like here at Pivotal. And like whenever I have, if I have just like a really simple domestic flight, it works perfectly, right? It's just like, I want to go to Kansas City from Austin, not a problem, right? But sometimes, uh, like for example, I have to go to Riga, Latvia, and then I need to fly from Austin to Riga. And then that week, I also need to go speak in Kansas City. So I need to fly from Riga to Kansas City, and then from Kansas City back to Austin. And also, I'm kind of picky about which airline I fly on. So I want to make sure it's the right airline. And I don't want it to be a two-day trip both ways, right? And so, like, right. as you can imagine, uh, the American—not not American Airlines, but the U.S. airlines aren't so great at flying to Latvia. <laughs> So you've got to like do this complicated scheme to get there. And so often, I remember the last time when I had to travel to Poland, this happened too. I'll spend, I mean, I'll be honest, an hour trying to find the right flight at the right cost. And then I'll go all the way to that final button that doesn't say this, but that is submit transaction. (laughs) (laughs) Right. And And then the little concur thing will spin for a little bit. And then you see this red text and it's like, we're sorry. The ferry you selected is currently not available or was not available in the first place. And you're like right. Well then why the fuck was I doing this? <laughs> right? And and like I remember calling up once and the you know, you get you go to a call center and the person on the phone is like they're typing and they're typing, and they're like, Oh yeah, um that that flight path doesn't exist anymore and you're like, What? then why, <laughs> why was it presented to me? <laughs> right. And, and so, like, I mean, I have to think there's multiple monoliths involved there, right? And mo- multiple of these little edge microservices because the UI is not as good as, like, say, kayak, but it's okay, right? Like, it's not that bad. I mean, I, ironically, I think American Airlines actually has a really phenomenal UI for booking travel. Like, theirs is really good. They, they understand, because, you know, when you book travel... Uh, I think the key use case that people don't understand is you want to look around like in a 24 hour period for just like what's available. Like every now and then I know that I have to be somewhere at 9 AM, but usually uh, like I don't care. I just want to find like what looks nice. So I want to be able to shift around the dates, especially for a vacation. Anyways, so American Airlines lets you do that and all sorts of other stuff, but I don't know. It's, It's just like applications like that. It gets very frustrating because it's almost like. The, the sort of micro-innovation that you can do around the edges, it just gets trampled by this monolithic problem at the center of it. And I don't really know if there's a solution for that. It's not like we should give up, but it's just not not solving. User would like to fly to Riga.
1: I think it's, you know, don't be scared of the house of cards with the chair stacked on top of it. Like, everybody's scared of it. And I think at the end of the day, um, it's not as much voodoo as everybody thinks it is and probably the people that built that thing in the first place um were relatively smart i i mean i you know just to go out on a limb they were probably pretty smart yeah, yeah and they were probably making um what they felt were sensible decisions at the time and so i wouldn't be surprised if it actually decomposes a lot easier than everybody assumes but there's always this like paralyzing fear of I just feel like the worst thing somebody can say is "Don't break the business," and it's not that we should break the business, but it's like <laughs> Yeah. when you say that, you instantly paralyze anybody for progress. Yeah, is like "Don't break the business." Is like, well, of course we're not going to break the business. Like it's small incremental change, and we can think about this thing in a way that we can solve it in an incremental way. But you just like drive this deep fear of like, Oh, if I screw this up, I'm going to get fired down into everyone. And then having conversations even about how you would carve off a slice or how you would solve a a piece that's been particularly challenging, um, becomes a conversation that's very difficult to have.
0: Yeah. I I mean, Uh, I mean, in this realm, like a phrase, like don't break the business is the equivalent of like, uh, don't transform the business or worse. Like don't try. I was thinking <laughs> right. like
1: talk, I was thinking like talk to the hand. Yeah, yeah, was yeah. Like that was kind of the you know like the
0: yeah, the, and, and and I guess you know I mean to use maybe it is an intractable multi-user transactional system airline booking, and it's just all this always happens. But it seems like it seems like in the same way that if I'm signing up for a service and they want me to have a unique ID and it can check if my ID is unique, it could basically be like oh yeah. That airfare is available, <laughs> right? Like, like you could go all the way back to the the mainframe and just say, like, is this mainframe available? And how about you lock it for three minutes, right? Like, and now, and and then that would be there would be a couple of considerations. One is it technically possible, right? So there's that, right? And then technically possible within the realm of like, does this ensure if there are fifty other people looking at the same airfare? does it allow them all to operate at the same speed so you know we make an architectural decision that like if we actually locked this thing for 3 minutes because we showed it to Cote as a possibility um that would slow down the entire system such that it would crash everything so we can't lock it i mean that's fine right or yeah you you could have another another trade off which was like if we lock this then we owe 20 more dollars in MIPS charges, which is going to run us out of business. So we're not going to do that. <laughs> then then that's an annoyance, but it's, it's a very real business consideration. Right. And, yep. uh, and then, and then, uh, you know, so you might have those considerations. Um, but on the other hand, it seems like technologically, it shouldn't be that. I mean, if it's not, if it's not the first thing, then it's like, you should just like do that so that I can book the thing. Right. But not, well, I don't I know. Think,
1: I think, yeah, I think the, you're, what you're describing is you have the physics problem and the business problem. Yeah. So like the business problem would be like, should we just let Cote check out anyway with the lower fare, and like eat it, knowing that we've made him happy and he will come back next time, and we'll make money on the next fare. That's the business decision, right? Yeah. It's totally a thing they could do. The flip side of that is, um. You know the physics of like you described like locking. Like, how do we do locking Do we hold a lock through, you know, um, through the reservation or is there some period of time? I mean, like anybody who's ever used Ticketmaster to buy like concert tickets, right? You like go in, you select your seats and it tells you like you have five minutes or whatever to check out. And if you don't, then these are going to be released right. back to the thing. It's like, that's the way that they solved like it's basically timeouts presented to the customer. It's, it's more—it's it's, more
0: of your uh, your wait and sleep, <laughs> right? <laughs> Metaphorically
1: right. speaking. But yeah, it's yeah. funny. It, it relates to everything. But anyway, uh, um, yeah, it, things that can put my wife to sleep for during dinner conversation. Um, but yes, they, it all. There's these are all problems that can be solved in a variety of ways, and um, I guess it, we just have to decide how to solve them. But again, I think what we're hitting on is like are the incentives to the business aligned to the change that we're trying to make? And like how deep do we need to go? Ultimately, that's the question. And then I think there's microservices as we think about them in the Netflix kind of way, which is, you know, let's say a checkout transaction talks to, I don't know, say 50 or like 80 different services. But then there is maybe this less uh, pure version or like a hybrid version. Um, And is that okay? And I I think the answer is yes, but I think it's more of us coming to grips with what that should be Um, and trying to figure out how do we deal with, you know, teams that have different release cadences and how should we manage that and like, if uh, if our mainframe team has never done feature flags before, should we ask them to start doing feature flags? Or, mm. you know, some of these... Or do we do feature flags in such a way that we can just ship all the time and we, like, have the mainframe thing and it's off until the mainframe team finally gets around to it and then we don't have to do a release to turn it on. We just flip the switch and life is good. Um, so I think... Um, you know, there's a, lot, there's a lot to be considered here. I don't think there's like one magical answer other than thinking through the challenges and the problems um, and understanding that, you know, release, uh, how you release is incredibly important to these decisions as well as, you know, how do you get at the real core business value? Um, and maybe staying up at the UI layer is where all the current value is and that's okay. And if that's so, then like focus your energy there. Don't try and go solve Hard problems because they're interesting, although that's very tempting for us as engineers.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Well, maybe maybe to close out. I mean, that's a good definition of like what definition discussion of what you were saying uh, at the outset, which which is to rephrase it is like in the enterprise, you should probably be doing microservices, but you're never going to be doing it everywhere. (laughs) Right. Like you you should figure out according to what the business wants to do, either what they were tolerate as far as these nerds going off the rails, doing crazy stuff or what they genuinely are starved for, like having more innovation, like figure out how much they actually want you to innovate and how much they're willing to suffer to get that. Um, Like maybe what it means is you just do stuff at the edges, right? I mean, you just sort of like, it's more towards the UI because like, then you can focus all of your energy, your limited energy on applying it to the right place. And Probably going and attacking the monolith is like not a good, you know, you you won't have support for that and it'll just like not go anywhere and it'll be wasted effort when, when you could have like spent this effort elsewhere and gotten maybe not solved my problem of booking an airline, but you could at least improve the experience somewhat.
1: <laughs> yeah, and you may find that there's things that sit in the monolith and this is true with a lot of monoliths where it's like they don't really feel like they belong. Like which one of these is not like the other? Like there are like Mm -hmm. endpoints or interactions that feel like they could have been or should have been separate, but they weren't because it was just convenient to put it here at the time, or like this was the platform in a sense that we had. And so I think in some cases, there's a lot of change velocity around those things and it may make sense to pull them out, but you can do so with a lot less risk than kind of attacking what I would call like the core or like the nucleus of the monolith. Yeah. Um, it, yeah. Like if you're
0: doing address canonicalization on the mainframe, that's probably not a good idea.
1: Right. Yep.
0: And, and various yeah. other stuff like that.
1: Perfect example.
0: Yeah. Well, we solved that one, Matt. I, did we?
1: <laughs> like, it depends. It yeah, like yeah, the, yeah. Well, I, I
0: think I think I think in general those are the only good discussions to have, right? Because it is, I think it's easy. You can go, you can go lead in yourself to some company and get like a little tiny O'Reilly booklet to explain why microservices are awesome and even show you some code, right? But what, but, but what becomes like a uh, an impossible, an impossible to perfectly answer situation is like, well. So how should I apply them to my large existing organization, right? And so all you can really offer is like, uh, I don't have an answer for you, but here's a framing that you can have to figure out the answer for yourself, right? Like you can figure out if it makes sense for you. And uh, good luck with that. I'm off to the next problem to not solve. <laughs> well, why don't, you, uh, why don't you tell people uh, where they can find you? If they want to look you up.
1: So I'm on Twitter. Matt J. Curry on Twitter. Um, I'm also on LinkedIn, as it turns out. Um, How's LinkedIn doing nowadays? You know, I check
0: in there every now and then. What do you think? It's terrible. Yeah. It's terrible. It's it's, it's a weird system. Talk talk about the need for rapid innovation with the microservices approach.
1: It's like having a home telephone. Like the Mm. only thing you ever get are sales calls. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Yeah. I mean, I don't... it's fun. I like to put up talks and stuff up there and there are people that are not on Twitter that are on there. Um, so I like to have my stuff up there, but generally I don't get a whole lot of value out of it.
0: Yeah. It, it is a confusing setup. You got, you got the, there's three jobs it seems to be doing. You got uh, an address book, right? That's, kind of primarily the only way I use it is or the the only reason I use it is like cuz I want to know people's email addresses over my multi-decade life or career. Mm-hmm. And then you got whatever that activity stream is, which I really only use for self-promotion. Like I don't actually go read it myself cuz it's a fucking mess. And then and then I get, I guess there is the like the ostensible reason which is like job hunting and resume stuff, which that's. I guess it works for that. I don't know. I don't know. It's a weird system. I'm. N-
1: I don't know if I know anyone who's gotten a job from LinkedIn. Yeah.
0: I mean, I definitely know that. That like, like when I've I've been in hiring situations, I'll go look at people in LinkedIn. Right. Like, if I want right. to like know who someone is professionally, it's good at that, because people generally present well. They present themselves well. Like, you can't really tell who someone is by looking at Twitter. Right. Like, you don't. Right you don't really know
1: how to evaluate them other than maybe you might not get the best side of them either yeah yeah
0: Yeah, maybe maybe what they should do microsoft should just buy twitter and then they can strip out the linkedin activity feed and put the twitter feed in there and then mix those two together and it'll just be like crazy town
1: it'll be like resumes with rage yeah there you go all right like Resumes with pent up rage. Yeah, yeah.
0: People, <laughs> people who are who are upset at the mainframes. They're all going to yeah. take their invent. All right. Well, as as I'm I'm also in Twitter. I'm Cote, just C O T E. And uh, as always, this has been a a Matt Curry edition of the Cote Show Variety Podcast. We'll uh, we'll be back in in a few weeks with uh, I don't know how many weeks with another episode where we uh, where we uh, on purpose don't solve a very complicated problem but just discuss how it pans out. If you want to get uh, the, how to subscribe to the show and look at all the other episodes, you go to show, and it'll all be there. And with that, we'll see everyone next time. Bye-bye. See you next time.